This is my favorite album. 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 Welcome to my favorite album with me, Andrea Cleary. I'm Caroline O'Donoghue, and this is my favorite album. Welcome back to my favorite album with me, Andrea Cleary, and the final episode of this series. This week's guest was a slightly intimidating one, I won't lie. Her podcast, Sentimental Garbage, is a mainstay on my podcast feed, and her side project, Sentimental in the City, with Dolly Alderton, basically got me through lockdown. She is, of course, podcaster and author Caroline O'Donoghue. I love that Caroline chose the first record from Irish band Fight Like Apes as her favourite album because it meant we really got to dig into the kind of love for music that you have as a teenager. She writes brilliantly about and for teens in her YA series All Our Hidden Gifts. Those first two books are out now and I devoured both of them over a weekend. Anyway, let's dive in. Here's Caroline O'Donoghue and her favourite album. Caroline O'Donoghue, hello, welcome. Hello, Andrea, so nice to see you. You too. I'm very excited to talk to you about this uh, album today. I'd like you to introduce the album, please. Oh, of course. Um, So when you asked me to come on this podcast, there were obviously like many albums that I could have named and many albums as well that um, like lyrically would probably, you know, be more, would, would mean more to me or, or mm-hmm. um, you know, on a poetic level, like I'm a huge Mountain Goats fan, for example. And I, I always maintain that John Danielle kind of writes albums like novels and that are incredibly dense and like mm. all these different albums that I adore and that I still listen to all the time that I could have mentioned. But the one I ended up coming up with that was kind of a surprise to myself almost was Fight Like Apes' debut album, Fight Like Apes and the Mystery of the Golden Medallion, which Mm. came out in 2008. And um, the more I, and part of that was because I have so much to say about this band. So yeah, sometimes it's really hard to find people to talk to about this album because like, even if, and I do do this of like, even when me and my boyfriend who's English are driving around Kerry or something where we tend to go a couple of times a year when it's not pandemic times. And I have like the CDs in the car and I have them blaring the whole time. And he's like, oh, yeah, this band is good. Do you know what I mean? It's like he still he was he wasn't there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, he wasn't there. And and there's, you know, sort of nowhere to express just how much I love this band, how much they mean to me. And as well, like um, this very specific time in life uh, for me where. Like I was, I think it was probably the only, looking back, it didn't feel this way at the time, but looking back, it was probably the only time where I felt cool. Mm. <laughs> being, being there for Fight Like Apes is kind of like, it is a little kind of cool badge of honor. Um, so this, this album came out in 2008. Tell me a bit about Caroline in 2008. Cool Caroline in cool, 2008. Cool, cool Caroline. Um, so it came out in 2008. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be like, that. I'm hoisted by my own petard by having called myself cool. But it's only like, it's, you, know, do you know when you're looking back in your 30s, obviously you're, you're a music journalist, so you don't have this, um, but everyone has that time in their life where they used to know bands mm, yeah. and know about bands and know when records were coming out and when a band was going to be coming through your city. And, and it's generally like a, you know, 
two to five year period of one's life. Um, and then you'll, and that for you will always be your cool time. But um, I uh, grew up in Cork and I also went to college in Cork in UCC, um, which I, I like, <laughs> it's, it's a choice, right? Mm. Like, I understand if you grew up in Dublin and you go to UCD or Trinity or, or something like that, that makes sense. But when you grow up in kind of a small, like, college city, and then you end up going to college in that city simply because like, I think we're of a generation where not going to college isn't an option kind of mm -hmm. thing, or especially if you're a certain kind of middle class, it's sort of like, well, that's what one does. But at the same time, I wasn't academically very good. And so it would seem, it seemed pointless to go elsewhere. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it was this thing of, uh, you know, being and I mean I remember this so clearly and I have written about it recently for a novel I'm working on um of you going out places you've been going out since you were 16 and you're using your kind of sister's ID or your brother's girlfriend's ID and all these other people who come in from the countryside or, or even just from like Limerick or Galway or whatever were experiencing your city for the first time and they were really excited to go to new clubs and mm. you feel incredibly jaded and you feel really disconnected. And I certainly felt that. And I, I was in this huge, huge um, arts, doing the arts BA. And uh, in UCC, the arts BA that year was so big and, and the English class was so big mm. that they had to introduce podcasts <laughs> in order to uh, let people get educated because there was no no classroom big enough for all of us so it was like if you were if your last name was a through m you went on like thursdays and fridays and if your last name was m through z you were monday tuesdays and wednesdays do you know what i mean wow oh my god so, yeah so it was like this really shitty experience actually for a while because you there was no way of um making friends with anybody and yeah. You know, you would sit next to somebody and then you'd have a conversation with them and you'd go for coffee with them. And then a week later, you would, they would, you'd find out that they dropped out or you just never see them again. And there just seemed to be no way of developing traction in that way. And because I was living at home, like there didn't seem to be any way of developing traction either there. And so I just sort of, so I had this boyfriend who was a hangover from secondary school. Mm. And you know, when like you're that age and you have a relationship that's longer than a year, you sort of think of yourself as being like elder statesman. Oh yeah. Like giving <laughs> relationship advice to like aunts and, you know. Fellow 18 year olds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sorry, I realize this is long, uh, a long wind up, but I am getting yeah. somewhere, I swear. Um, and so he was in law and I was in English and because law was a, a smaller, clickier kind of group, there's only about 50 of them, they all, all got really close and because I felt quite alienated in my sort of course, I sort of gravitated towards them and then you know, lo and behold, as things happen, in the April of the end of that first year, he dumped me and, you know, it was this thing of like being feeling like it's like the, the ground shattering from underneath me because you know we had been together since secondary school I suppose yeah. and the first um, big one is it's the first big one the oh, first being God. dumped as well like it yeah. was huge um and the, and uh yeah then I I went home and I was just in bits and I had this album and I owned it because I worked 
um, in the HMB in Cork and um, I just had a lot, of, a lot of CDs that I hadn't yet listened to. Mm. I, and I put it on and it was just so loud and so big and she was so loud and she was so big. And I remember getting to that song towards the end, which is just her, May Kay saying over and over again, you're fired. <laughs> just like, and that thing of like, oh, I have been fired. <laughs> <laughs> but then what happened after that was I, um, because I had lost this sort of, um, the, the one college gang that I had, which was, which, which people I didn't even like, you know what I mean? Like I was yeah. just sort of like hanging out with them just cause. I started hanging out with people in work more often and they were all, you know, three or four years older. Um, and so, and we all kind of moved in together into house share. And one of the first sort of house things that was our thing was this band. And they mm. would come through Cork the whole time. And it was always a night out when, when they were playing. And, uh, and yeah, it just, I feel it was the first big breakup and it was the first big renaissance as well. That thing mm. of bouncing back going out every night, having a group of older friends, not really giving a fuck of like what the sort of like very Christians brothers, sort of very kind of uh, middle-class secondary school scene that I came from, not really caring what they thought about, that that very homogenous group Mm. thought about anymore and having sort of more interesting friends and going to more interesting places and that being this big bam, really. Mm. Yeah, I think there's the, this is a really kind of busy album. So if you're in a place and especially when you're young, because I think this this is also a really youthful album. Like this is the sound yes. of being young and angry and confused and in love and out of love. And that's in like the production. That's very much in Mayke's vocals, which are just completely outstanding. Like it, it's it's amazing that this is a first record, you know. And it is, it's it's that sort of thing where if you're just really fucking pissed off, you can put it on and it's like, it's really nice to hear kind of a silliness in that and a kind of a a randomness. Um, yeah. I'm doing air quotes. There is that kind of like, ra- you know, back when everyone used to say random, which would have been around about this time, yeah, I would guess. Have been, this is peak random. Yeah, this peak is random time. Became sort of distasteful. Totally, yeah. And I think that's all wrapped up in it. And I'm so happy that you chose this album because it does sound to me like teenagers. And I just finished reading two books that you wrote about teenagers. And I want to oh. talk to you about teenagehood and as as an author and putting yourself back into those feelings which I think you do really well and if if, whether or not music plays a part in in that for you whether this album played a part in you getting into the heads of of those damn teens those witchy teens yes those witchy witchy teens yeah no you're you're so right it's so well observed but um yeah definitely you know because I write adult fiction and young adult fiction um every book is channeled by a soundtrack really mm. um and it, you know, the sort of it, it's how I sort of get myself into gear of feeling and thinking um like a 17 year old again and mm. even though I was slightly older than that when I was a fan of Fight Like Apes I'm still a fan but you know ori- you know originally a fan mm. um uh this is definitely an album that helps me get back into that frame of mind and I think it's well because 
what's so interesting about the lyrics of Fight Like Apes is some of them feel incredibly emotional and incredibly incisive and incredibly clever. Mm. But you only get about one couplet of song that is sure. that. Yeah. And the rest of it, and I and if you've been in bands, like everyone's been here if they were have been in a band of like if you you're playing something and you kind of start mumbling nonsense words in order to just fill the frame. Mm-hmm. And for felt like apes it feels like they keep that in like there's so many song, so many lyrics that just feel like you know like jake summers is such a nonsensey song of yeah. like buying your boyfriend a pair of boots and then he goes to the park and plays with the geese yeah. and then and then he cries for no reason and yeah. then it goes into jake summers is the man like, why? Is it, why why is he the man is it the boots he's the boots yeah <laughs> That's, that song reminded me a bit of Roe when I was listening to it. I was like, I feel like Babe would buy Roe a nice pair of boots. Yes. And he'd wear oh, them to the so park. Them. <laughs> oh, them. Yes. And this is like, there are quite a few bands. So um, Roe, who's like the romantic hero of um, All Our Hidden Gifts series, um, is in a band. And I have such a very clear idea of what that band sounds like. Mm. And um and the band is called Small Private Ceremony, which I think quietly is a great name. <laughs> it is a great name for a band. <laughs> but it it, I always imagined them sort of being like somewhere in between Ezra Furman and Fight Like Apes kind of thing. Like something that is so high energy. And like you go there because you love the music and you would listen to it anyway. But you also go there to just get your fucking life. And this sort of this kind of this rampage that exists within you all the time because you're young has this place to just be out there and be out loud which which obviously you can say about a lot of genres of music like you can say that like cork has a has a very intense metal scene mm-hmm. um which i never i've never really quite understood but i just love that, it, that it's there um my first ever gig was in a metal bar even though we were like a very much a four chord pop song band mm. um and that to me, even though I don't like metal, it's what the appeal of it that I understand is that thing of being able to lose yourself to this just huge roaring soundscape that I almost feel it's so big, it almost feels like nature. Mm. But with Fight Like Apes, like the kind of music that has always appealed to me is very much um, stemmed from a childhood love of the film Josie and the Pussycats. Oh my God, what a film. Has that, has anyone done that in sentimental garbage? No, do you Someone want to? Someone should do that. I will do that in sentimental garbage. Oh my garbage. god, come on, let's do it. Yes, that's let's do it. Let's do it. Oh my god, Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, it's I can't believe no one's done it actually. Someone <laughs> had suggested, but they went to, they ended up going for something else. But um, yeah, but that that sort of soundtrack there's like definitely a sort of an early noughties, late nineties period where the best music in the world was the music in American teen films. Absolutely. don't exist. Yeah, 100%. And the style, the sense of a scene being kind of like one thing instead of what it actually is in Ireland, which is a lot of different kind of disparate scenes like bleeding into one another. Like you were saying, like your, yeah. your four chord kind of pop band playing in metal yeah. sh- shows and stuff like the the scenes in American teen films is just like here are all the punks and they hang out here and here are all the like and I I love that I I always love that sense of kind of like clickiness and you can just slot into one of them and you just decide to be a punk or something and it seemed to like there was always these scenes in in these movies like I'm thinking Renee Zellweger at the end of Empire Records and the scene at the end of 10 Things I Hate About You with there's a band playing on the roof I think it's Cheap Trick oh they were awesome yeah 
yeah I want you to want me that kind of thing that's sort of like girl-led pop driven but really riotous yeah um, guitar music that I looked for everywhere and could never seem to find mm. like people would point you towards something like bands like riot girl bands like La Tigra um, or the Runaways but it just never hit the same spot you it, know what the, I mean? the, it wasn't quite like pop enough because those were yeah. really like gleaming pop songs but they just had this sort of like teenage girl petulance about them or something they're they're kind of like stamping their foot and just like throwing their toys out of the pram and I love that about them and I think that you get that on this fight yeah. like apes record as well where it's just like I've fucking had enough of it now I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna shout nonsense and like you said every, every few lines I'm gonna have uh, like something that really cuts through and then you're like oh shit you know it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, oh shit yeah yeah it's good pop writing yeah one of the lines that always got like cut through to me and that again once again because i was a very young person in the midst of my first big breakup that 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 line and he doesn't even know you like stars doesn't even know you like stars and you hate frogs <laughs> yeah and like it means nothing but it means everything yeah I think tie, tie Me Up With Jackets is, oh my is one that I just like the that r- repetition of like lovely noise, lovely noise that makes you love me. It's just it's distilling this like thing of I just really want this boy to think I'm cool and I'm oh, going to yeah. play him songs that he might think are cool. <laughs> and oh, it's like, it's, so uh, it's such a painful time in your life when you're just trying to like when, when you're kind of ho- holding some music for yourself because you're afraid the boy mightn't like it or it's too girly or, you know, he oh. won't like the slits because he likes the Sex Pistols or the Kinks or whatever. And my favorite line, I think my favorite lyrics of all lyrics is in that song. I oh, think, yeah. Which is you say Yola Tango like you're selling perfume. That I ha- I literally have that in my in my notes like that is such a good line and to me that speaks to a kind of like an older man younger woman relationship because she also says things like um where is it I have it here I can't compete with all you talk about you're so informed and yet you talk just like a loud you say yola tango like you're selling perfume like a brand new scent for modern man like that's just that's invented by cartoons yeah yeah. unbelievable I like, just got a full fucking body shiver there I know. It's so but it was so because I oh it, it's ex- oh, sorry I, got, I just lost my words because I was just so floored by it again even though I listened to it a half an hour ago yeah like and that that sort of bratty bratty girl rock music from films that doesn't exist in real life but mm-hmm. now with May Kay and Bite Like Apes it suddenly does mm-hmm and it and it's getting in to, Ireland in <laughs> Ireland of all places like, yeah. yeah yeah and like the fact that they're Irish but they seem like they're from elsewhere they seem like they're from an American film and um a, a verse like that um which is so everything every 17 18 year old girl goes through and like mm-hmm. any girl who's interested in music goes through and to this day when a when a man does that to me I, I think you say you're a tango like you're selling perfume and it, it, it's and, and even that is a borrowed Americanism because it, it's it's saying to that thing of like that of people standing in department stores with perfume saying you know obsession for men obsession for kind men. of thing yeah. <laughs> happen in Ireland really I don't think maybe yeah airport now but um yeah but it's 
like it's like they were borrowing from all these cultural references that weren't ours like jake mm -hmm. summers is a reference to that show california dreams which yeah was a, yeah and um, then the uh beverly hills 90210 a song called i'm beginning to think you prefer beverly hills 90210 to me yeah which is great <laughs> it was such a weird blender in a weird way it reminds me of do you remember the show malcolm in the middle mm. Do you know the opening like the theme credits? song? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Theme song. Where yeah, that great song. I don't know who sings the, it. You're not the boss of old, me now. You're not the boss. Yeah, it was so that, and that, but that it was a kind of a VHS mashup of like monster movies and wrestling and just the boys just clattering around the place. Mm. And like this album and Fight Like Apes feels like that. It feels like all these weird, like, like almost like. you're standing on a river where all this American debris has just washed up and you're just mm. gluing it together with no sense of what it means. Yeah. And yeah, I think, th I think that's, that's exactly what it is because this is an album in 2008 that is, I think, very much responding to the American kind of wave that happened to our generation when we were in primary school, when everyone started saying like for the first time. And yeah. all of those kind of American cultural references just feeling like you just desperately wanted to be in a high school and not your stupid yes. fucking secondary school. And I remember one thing, like I, I kind of was inventing in my head that there were like popular girls and geeks and stuff because yeah, I just, like, I just wanted to like imprint all of the stuff that I'd like learned from American media onto like my little Irish like, uh, Catholic school because I couldn't make sense of the Catholic school in isolation. Oh, that's so, that's so real, Andrea. I remember when I was in secondary school um, and obviously Mean Girls, you know, was such mm. a huge, so huge so quickly. Um, but there was these girls in my class who started a burn book kind of thing. And Oh God, that is not the message to take from that film. That's not the message of Mean Girls. <laughs> but you, but, yeah, but I, I, at the same time, I completely understood why you would do that, totally. right? Because self-preservation. Like, yeah, you want to feel like you're crossing a line, but you don't know about the lines enough to know what crossing them is. And rebellion totally. is quite an original thing to do. And you kind of have to think of stuff to do. <laughs> and like if, if a film is done already... <laughs> Yeah, like I think I, I, I always was kind of like looking for those like cultural oppositions within like a, cl a class of like 25 girls who grew yeah. up in the same area. And I remember really, really feeling disappointed that when I went to secondary school, there won't be cheerleaders. I remember just being like, what? There's not going to be a cheerleading squad here that I can then exist in opposition to because I want to be the cool girl. But I can't be the cool girl if there's not... cheerleaders over there to compare me to so, yeah. like, so what am I going to do just wear this uniform and learn what the fuck right. is that like <laughs> yeah we're all just kind of lumping around in the same clothes all kind of medium pretty totally <laughs> like with our dream Matt Moose and listening yeah. to our punk like, punk music or whatever I was talking to some friends the other night about dream Matt Moose and we all decided actually that it gets too bad a rap these days and that as a foundation it was fine just just an aside I think it was fine Do you know what most of the Maybelline like, products are still very solid yeah it was a good high coverage foundation like yeah. <laughs> which is we just not the it. style anymore it's fine and we needed it Jesus Christ <laughs> nobody was going to like clinics to get their acne sorted out back then it was just pile it on absolutely pile it on yeah yeah <laughs> okay, that makeup look the thing and as well that thing of like 
when GHDs, GHDs started coming in, but nobody could use them properly. <laughs> Just so like- the front of your hair would be really straight, but really dry. And the back of your hair would be, still be bumped from where your bobble was. Yeah. And I love that. I don't know if you've seen online the return of indie sleaze. I feel like you'll. Yes, I've been following it with much, much curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, if you even look at like the style of Fight Like Apes with the like, their, with this record around 2008, 2009, especially May Kay, yeah. like she she is so indie sleaze. Like she's got the oh. bright colored tights, the plastic neon sunglasses stripes it's like this mixture between kind of like playful emo and indie and she's just so colorful like the big scene hair as well she just looked like a force of nature she looked like such a cool girl can we just can we just park in her for a while now like Mm -hmm. she was so fucking cool so cool she remained so cool too but but then she was yeah. so cool like I feel, she... I feel like quietly cautious because like you know Ireland is small and someone will tell her about this podcast and yes. she might listen and, and whatever but she was definitely like one of the first like real crushes I had I think on an, on a woman where mm. which is obviously you know you're 18 a, a bit alarming um mm. but especially in Ireland um but like it was re- like there were so few women even then still that you could sort of look at and want to emulate or whatever and so and the the ones that existed like you know even when Gwen Stefani was still in no doubt the there was a scariness to them do you know what I mean mm-hmm. there was like um a frighteningness to them and especially like May Kay was just so gorgeous like she and she has that sort of it's my point sort of very private theory that you know that kind of traditional sort of cores ashling b kind of coloring mm, yeah the irish white person coloring that you kind of have of yeah. like the very white skin the very dark hair and sort of dark flashing green eyes that does not exist in cork whatever the sort of like okay genetic <laughs> makeup of um of the island is or whatever like yeah. everybody in cork even if they're brunette is ginger there's okay. like <laughs> a county of fair people yeah yeah I, I i think i can think of like you know one person i knew that had like very dark hair or whatever and so i always associate that sort of look with with dublin people and hence with glamour okay um, wow that's so interesting i've i've never heard anything like that theory before but i love it i'm gonna share with you some of my own indie pictures from that era of like oh, house parties do. and you will see that everyone is ginger like everybody <laughs> um but I think it's what she was so just physically gorgeous and you know and and even now when I see Ashling B I always think it's May Kay because May Kay yeah very similar so so firmly um but she didn't she seemed like someone who could also like girls as well in terms of like like hanging out with girls in the way that many girls and bands didn't and I think it's because in the lyrics and like I fully know that like she wrote the lyrics with the in your man's pockets who I cared less about because he was a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, the I, I saw everything as being a representation of her and who she was. And she was so upfront with how disgusting she was. Yeah, yeah. How disgusting her habits were and like her, her bedroom being disgusting and like her talking about gross things and like, and did you fuck her and did you stick things up her? She was so sort of like, I don't know what the word for it is. I Just... guess it's it's like without the kind of 
the Joe Rogan association with this word, but it, it was edgy. Like it was edgy yeah. at the time to have a woman, a young woman in a in a band who was being this gross about stuff. And it it, it felt way yeah. more like the conversations you have with other girls when you're that age, when when you start realizing that you can actually talk to each other about like disgusting things. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Instead of I mean, how how you kind of perform your friendship in front of boys or men, or and then you eventually kind of grow out of that, thankfully. Totally. Like, yeah, it, 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 there's definitely a, a transition that happens, and maybe this is more of an Irish thing, but I do think even Irish gal groups, no matter how close they are, when they're young, are incredibly conservative with each other, or they yes. certainly were of our generation. Mm. Like we, I de- I didn't admit to a, a female friend that I'd ever masturbated until I was about twenty. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, that wasn't a discussion. Like I, I remember being in like sixth year and sitting around at the like the canteen table at lunchtime, and one of the girls just kind of leaned in and was like, "Well, we talk about sex. Like we just <laughs> never really talk about sex that much." And we were all like okay and then we kind of found oh out that like God. one one or two of the girls had like done stuff and then we were like can we ask questions about it like sixth year you know that oh that's my God. it's insane and then we all were like oh this is th- this is really fun and then we just did that like every, every day at lunch forever oh that's so cute <laughs> it was absolutely adorable it was really really cute and I think those while I didn't actually like learn a lot during those chats because I'm also talking to like other girls who haven't had sex yet (laughs) about like stuff we've been reading in Cosmo or what maybe somebody had the internet and was reading stuff on like a message board or something um I value those conversations so much because it was just a bunch of clueless girls sitting around talking about what we thought of as like gross stuff or really private stuff and it was such a like freedom in it like so liberating Oh, I, I, we, we weren't like my friend group. We were definitely there was quite a few of us that were having sex fairly young, mm-hmm. um, and and that where that's how I think is the quite tragic divide, really, because we were talking about the sex that we were having with boys and how far people were going and da da da, but we would be mortified to talk about masturbation or absolutely. Just, just basically our own bodies and our own sensations of pleasure or any or what we liked or didn't like or whatever it was all it was very much framed a conversation of like how much are you willing to give this boy kind of oh, thing yeah. yeah even even the phrase the, the the framing of the question how far have you gone with a guy yeah is always like it, it is that like what have you let him do or yeah. what have you done that you wanted him that he wanted you to do and that that was always such a, such, and obviously we didn't think about it at the time, but it is a, a very strange question to have yeah. made up so much of our kind of thoughts and conversations at that age, you know? Yeah, and there being this like almost sexual currency conversion sort of thing of like, I, I remember having lots of disdain for girls who like had reportedly given quite a few guys hand jobs at, at parties or something, but they've never had sex. And me thinking that they were trying to preserve some false sense of honor or something. Mm-hmm. Like it was just very dark. And like, yeah. I don't know, is this is this um album very sexual, do we think? Or does it just feel sexual? I th- I think there's sexual elements, um, certainly in Digifucker. But I think th- yeah, no, overall there is just a kind of a, a an undercurrent of feminine sexuality 
or like a release from the various kinds of repressions and oppressions on certainly make a make a like womanhood in it yeah especially like the moments when she's screaming and it's like in this unapologetically feminine high-pitched screaming way it's not like she's trying to like pitch her voice down or anything and I don't know for for a lot of guys in 2008 who were 18 or 17 or 16 that might have been the first time that they heard a woman kind of scream in a song like that even though like there was a lot of screaming going around a lot of emo going around um and I I think that is like inherently sexual (laughs) yes because I suppose it might have been the first time they've heard a woman scream as well so and they're like oh what's that noise God, and like the thing about May Kay screaming as well is like, as we said, she might be saying like quite ridiculous lyrics, but there, I don't know, there's, because there's a kind of an undercurrent of heartbreak in a lot of the songs and an undercurrent of just, you know, you do get the sense that she's talking about a person or maybe a few people that just don't and won't understand her. It seems to come up quite a lot, right? Mm. That like, this this sort of frustration at being misunderstood at yeah. like you know and and that that bit in battle stations where she which it's the biggest sort of scream of the record really where she just says you know i don't feel like playing this song again the sample you know, the sample sounds like shit and i don't want to hear it again yeah and and which is that, immediately followed by the sample which is great which is immediately <laughs> with a sample. but she she just goes on that and it turns into such a raw guttural scream and yeah I don't know it, it feels like she's it's like fun because it's this meta conversation about the song that they're literally recording but it also feels like someone who's just fucking sick of somebody's shit you know what I mean and, yeah yeah and yeah. I think I mean I, I think they opened the record with that idea of misunderstanding of their intentions so they, they open with something yeah. global which yes, is a song about song. being told to write a hit um which is you know, it's it's bold uh, for mm. the first track on, on, on your debut record to have like basically the conversations you're having with your label, like yeah. give give me my hook. We need something global. And for her to kind of like, again, that, that kind of meta narrative, that meta conversation that she's having of like, here's your fucking hook. It's the first song on the record. Is this yeah. enough for you now? Can, can I get back to my business now? Uh, <laughs> and then for the rest of the album, it's just nonsense and feelings. <laughs> and you're like, okay, great. Yeah, I'm glad you got that out of the way. I'm glad you told us that. Like, And there's, it, it's so rooted in its time as well because I mean, there's, there's lines in it like um like me- melodies are for gays is that I one? know Hope and this was and choruses are for gays choruses are for gays and you're like <laughs> listening to that now it's 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 nearly quaint yeah that's the thing is like you can't even be shocked and appalled because like oh god it's it's kind of hilarious how we <laughs> yeah you know that uh, like, things were just described as being gay back then which oh god which we yeah, all it, collectively it hang out like, yeah I think I'm, I'm I've moved through it like we're over it but hearing that line it just it really did like throw me right back to that that lexicon that like strange edginess that was just, we were all just like especially girls who hung out were a lot of guys just trying to be cool and quote South Park and you know be edgy and 
describe something as gay. It's oh, just, God. I it's know. so embarrassing now. <laughs> uh, and like, as well, this is like, I feel like this was the last time in popular culture where it was um, like quite cool to call out the suits. Oh yeah, the suits. That's no longer a thing anymore, I don't think. <laughs> no, pop culture is the suits now. Kanye West is a billionaire. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's so, I was thinking about that a lot today because I remember, you know, the, the Arctic Monkeys would always be sort of like calling out the label and, and um and and magazine culture and oh you just want whatever will sell all your records man it's like you're well, so not, right that's not a thing anymore and, like, don't exist. Yeah. and like now it's sort of like when when a when a i think definitely now when an artist uh uh shows a real racial savvy or something everyone's very like oh cool move <laughs> totally cool move you'll be able to retire on that you know what i mean yeah, I mean, I think the only artist I've seen do something a bit like that recently was um, Rebecca Lucy Taylor when she's tweeting about like, please buy my album or stream it so that I don't have to do what my label says and set up a TikTok. Like I'm in my thirties, <laughs> please don't make me set up a TikTok. Oh my God, I love <laughs> I like, her so much. She's amazing, and and that to me, I was like, oh God, yeah, it's not about like, you know. <laughs> sticking it to the label or the man it's now sticking it to like tech companies I don't know how we got here <laughs> but, I know, I but know. Tech, tech companies are the man now Spotify is the man now like I, I I really do feel like we're gonna see a lot of artists I don't know I'm I'm expecting a wave of people kind of in their music addressing streaming culture and trying to make <gasps> streaming culture uncool um I'm just oh. waiting for it to happen so interesting yeah why haven't we heard more of those songs i guess i don't know because i think it's very difficult for a band to not use spotify which is such a shame but like whenever i interview bands i talk to them about like streaming services and stuff they're like they're nearly reluctant to kind of certainly to go on record like criticizing them because they're like yeah but at the end of the day like i have all my music on there and i have to be on there but obviously it's like it's awful um and people people should buy albums i mean they should i don't but they should (laughs) (laughs) but you're not you're not in that um you're out of that little period of your life now where you yeah Yeah. now me being in quote-unquote into music is like spotify serving me songs that are enough like the other things I like but different enough to excite me and then I put them in a playlist and then that's me being an artiste like it's like so depressing like it's I mean I'm sure you get this a lot on your show of of like people who would be and I'm one of them that would be happy for such a large amount of money to leave my current account right now if I could just make music feel the same Mm. as it did then you know oh god it's like uh, oh yeah I know. And it's it's something that I, I I get kind of pissed off at my boyfriend about it sometimes because he he's a few years older than me and he'll talk about bands that he liked when because he was like very much there during the like, you know, the cool like you'd swear he was in New York for the AAS the way he goes on. Like he was not. Oh God, he, was, he was in Ireland for it, but he was very much there and was like about that scene and stuff. And he'd talk about those bands with this kind of like wistful middle distance stare and I'm like mm-hmm. okay 
like how dare you have fond memories of music that a don't involve me and b <laughs> that I wasn't also there for but but there is that sense of like when you're young music just I suppose it's it's first times right it's the first time you fall in love with an album or an artist the yeah. first time you get obsessed with something like saving up your pocket money to buy an album and just not owning not owning any other stuff like just like yeah. I remember I didn't have like any like jewelry or makeup or anything because I spent all my money on CDs, CDs. I, that's why all the teens are hot now that's why they all know oh how my to do god makeup. that's why they're hot oh we finally figured it out they're not spending their money on CDs they're just streaming on their parents Spotify account and that's unfair actually if you ask me but uh <laughs> fair but you're right it, do, it doesn't hit you the same now it can though like yeah it, it, honestly, it's odd it's um, just rarer I know we've sort of talked about it a little bit already but the 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 only time I can make music feel the same is when I am writing the mm. teen books kind of thing and I don't know I can just sort of like if I sit we sit in it long enough I can temporarily bring myself back there and mm and just gloomily walk around listening to the same five songs over and over again. Um, mm. And it, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. What does it feel like for you now, returning to this album? Do you, do you return to it a lot? I actually returned to it a lot um, a few years ago when I was writing my second novel, Scenes of a Graphic Nature. And this is sort of a long and quite circuitous point, and I I don't know if it's going to be satisfying. <laughs> so buckle up. <laughs> I'm here. We have we have Fergal to edit it out if it's not. So I'm here. Fantastic. I'm <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I'm, I'm very graceful about if you want to edit it out. But um, I so this book seems of graphic nature that I wrote. It was about um somebody who is English but who has Irish parentage coming back to Ireland and trying to sort of reckon with what of this belongs to them and it was kind of um, a more dramatic version of how I felt living in England for at that point seven or eight years and feeling not not English obviously Mm. um, but certainly you know a Londoner because I'd spent my adult life here Um, but also like like I'd fallen out of step with everything that made Ireland Ireland you know because I I and I, I didn't know what it meant to me anymore, um, other than somewhere where my parents and my family lived. And I think also, you know, I tried to be there as much as I could for repeal. And I tried to be there as much as I could for uh, the marriage equality stuff. But it ultimately felt like a party that was going on without me and without my help and didn't need me. And mm. there was something very lonely about that. And and because I, because I moved when I was young, I was 21 when I moved. And then nobody else at that point had emigrated that I knew. Um, I think people tend to emigrate when they're more 23, 24, a little bit older, um, when they have like skills. Um, <laughs> and so, and so, and because of that, like all the friends I made were English or also from elsewhere. Um, and I, I, I kind of looked around when I was writing that book and I realized I had no Irish friends that I saw frequently um, and no Irish things that I was listening to like I, I didn't get into on the Fontaine's DC bandwagon I wasn't keeping up with that stuff mm. Andrea made a face everyone 
They know. They know already. <laughs> I... <laughs> they know my feelings. I don't need to. Go and like the here. best I had was sort of like following Irish Twitter and sort of feeling like I'm on the outside. Do you know mm. what I mean? And 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 so I, anyway, I wrote this novel that sort of was partly me getting to grips with that feeling and examining it. And I am um, I I it's in sort of three acts this novel and and each act is preceded by um, a song lyric and the first one is from the Black Velvet Band which was sung by Luke Kelly but is a really really old folk song and the second one is um, from On Raglan Road which obviously is written by Patrick Kavanagh and then the third one was from Battle Stations mm-hmm. by Fight Like Apes and it was, um, and it, 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 the, the lyric is from the sample and it's, you know, for, for a time we tried to contact them by radio and no response. Uh, then they attacked a town, a town, a small town I'll admit, but nevertheless a town of people, people who died. And, and that, that very much is, is part of the plot of the book. So it felt like a fun thing to do. Mm. But on a more emotional level, it was um, me trying to my experiences of Ireland and my adulthood and my childhood and my memories and things I listened to alongside your Patrick Kavanagh's and your Luke Kelly's and your folk songs and being like this counts as much mm-hmm. you know and I feel that a lot as an Irish writer who lives abroad and you know obviously it's a long tradition of Irish writers living abroad and and I, I've had to say to myself several times throughout my career you know, my my memories of Ireland are every bit as important as James Joyce's. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. not in terms of like to the world, but to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And and yeah, Battle Stations counts as much as On Raglan Road does. And the older we get, the more it will count. And I find that exciting and beautiful, mm. I guess. I, I, I really like that. I really love the idea of kind of just uh, also kind of addressing the Irish canon because as as an Irish writer in London in England like I'm sure that you get people talking to you about Irish culture and that often obviously not always but often we are viewed in Ireland as having kind of you know created greats but they all seem to have kind of you know died a hundred years ago and Mm -hmm. obviously there's there's a very rich kind of you know like especially like women's fiction and mm-hmm. like there's a there's a lot of in- incredible like women's authors and our um our music scene is starting to get recognized a bit more but there was a kind of a lull in like yeah I don't know the canonization of the this the output that has been happening consistently in Ireland whether it's in music or in books or an- anywhere in the arts and I love the idea of taking a band like Fight Like Apes and kind of entering them quietly into that canon via like the three act structure of that book because you're totally right and like and and the two other the two other quotes were by men as well like when we talk about great Irish writers people are like Joyce Kavanagh you know (laughs) yeah yeah precisely and um yeah and 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 that version of Irishness, which is sort of, um, yeah, quiet and masculine and rural and mm. folksy. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, that's, I, that's, you know, casting with a very broad net. But, you know, I, I 
certainly that I think now again now obviously we are neck deep in culture by millennial Irish women and that's mm. a wonderful thing um, and I'm really really grateful for that every day but at the time it did feel that like if you were just a suburban kid who had a fairly ordinary upbringing that when looked at in the wide isn't that different from a rural upbringing that someone could have in say Yorkshire do you know what I mean like or, yeah. or something like that you're it's it, creating art about suburban Irish people felt like well why bother you know yeah yeah um so yeah and, and I think it's great now to have this reckoning of like oh it, it did all matter and it does all matter you yeah know? And, and like we were saying with the kind of Americanisms on the record I do feel like it speaks to that kind of like the more global Ireland like this this album could have as, as you said come out in America I think equally it could have come out in Japan like yeah this, like a, a, a Japanese band could like in, in an alternate universe wrote and released this album I think it um, was released in Japan as well I think it, it did was okay it, Japan, it, it, right? it did well in Japan and I think it it, it it borrows a lot from like obviously there's like karate references and stuff but it borrows mm. a lot from um the kind of I guess wackiness of like Japanese yeah, punk yeah. music and stuff, um, uh, it, which is a genre that is like really, really um, just full of brilliant women um, and brilliant women that that sound and sing and scream like Meike, which is mm -hmm. brilliant. Um, so yeah, I I I really like that this album kind of hit on that point of like a global Ireland and not as you yes. were saying that more kind of like maybe serene or like guitar gazing man yeah totally right because yeah. when i'm thinking of the other irish musical exports that were happening around this time it's like, like the I'm frames thinking, and the frame yeah, yeah. And like like glenn hansard and once kind of thing that was like such a huge thing in the u.s and yeah um and damien rice and and that's what was the palatable version of of irishness right mm. and and like for so long there it did feel like that irish women just had no place in the global thing right because mm. obviously we had like the cranberries and the cores and the girl in ash mm. <laughs> <laughs> ash, ash had a girl <laughs> yeah um what's her name again charlotte something oh, um, i can't remember her name and um and and uh, the, and the um the the girl who was the host on that horrible tv show the swan and that was it for like yeah. a, for like a really long time it yeah. felt like irish women had no place on the international stage whatsoever i'll add L laura whitmore in there as well <laughs> laura whitmore <laughs> she was floating around <laughs> she was she didn't float around at the beginning of time yeah she was floating uh, around at, at mtv in those years i think yeah. yeah when you have a pack with satan you get to <laughs> you get to do that <laughs> I don't know if that was before or after she was serving. <laughs> and Fergal, run, run that past legal. <laughs> but yeah, there, there um, was. Sorry, I interrupted you there. You know what? The, well, look, I'm trying to think of like who were who were the women who were on an international Irish stage when we were growing up. I don't who were kind of a little bit older than us. You know? Mm, yeah. I, I can't really think of any. And. Um, which is, again, everyone gets this, right? When you have sort of local heroes doing well. But when I see like pillow queens on like the Jimmy Fallon show or whatever or something, yeah. it just feel like, yes, I would feel that a way anyway if it was an Irish band. Although once again, I don't really care about Fontaine's DC and anything they do. <laughs> yeah. um, but 
something about it being so so particularly Irish and feminine and so particularly like I don't know and uh, sorry obviously pillow queens and violet games don't really have anything in common but what they do have in common is it almost is a world that doesn't acknowledge that men are the male gaze exists mm. you know yeah yeah because may Kay is sort of fucking doing whatever she wants and being a bit gross and being a bit much and it's like it's not as if she's been like you think i'm a bit much and i'm gonna do it anyway it's, it's as if like she's never met rules or walls ever it's totally like she was like grown up in the woods or something that's yeah. how she feels like when she's on stage and when she's singing and it's the same with with pillow queens they're just like they're just not really acknowledging the existence of men whatsoever totally <laughs> apart from one of their songs you know yeah. called brother i think so and they they look and sound like millennial irish women like yeah they, and they sing in their own accents um, yes which is really great. I have a theory as to why you don't like Fontaine's DC because Fontaine's DC is very much kind of, I think, actively making the decision to follow on in that kind of, like de- de- definitely in a, in a, in a post-punk way, but like, you know, the, yeah. like, oh, I just, I love walking around the streets of Dublin and thinking about that these were the streets that James Joyce walked around and stuff. And it's like, yeah, we all oh like that God. once a year on the 16th of June, we love it. But, you know, nobody really fucking thinks like that or talks like that you know so I yeah I think maybe the the cultural export of like new Irishness O-I-R-I-S-H yes. oh my god I is... saw the funniest fucking tweet about them the other day man oh yeah <laughs> do you know that um, this is this is obviously date the podcast but there was a, a recent viral interview in the Rolling Stones with your man so I, I barely listened to this band I don't know why we're fucking beating them up so much but um they uh you know, he was he was sort of basically he, this guy. He lives in London now, and I don't know. You, I know, this, I I know the article you're talking about. This is a real thing, and I think every person who has to promote their 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 art has to almost like find an angle for which to talk about it through. And in order to like make that angle feel like it has movement and drama, you have to sort of affix a kind of a poor me narrative to it mm. and I have certainly done that like I've brought up like my sister's illness like several times when talking about one of my books and stuff and like she thinks it's funny but you know ultimately I know what I'm doing you know sure. yeah and we all do but for the Fontaine's lad he his whole thing was talking about how Irish people are still discriminated against in London and I've been here 10 years and it's just fucking not true yeah. it's just like trying to like kind of act like he's in an Ireland that's like 1971 or something totally and I just and, and like first of all it's funny second of all like when there are so many people who really are discriminated against in London it just feels a bit tasteless yeah but uh somebody wrote a tweet back to this article anyway saying um um you're um Irish people do get persecuted in London when a book of when a copy of the book of Kells is falling at the pocket of their <laughs> wax jacket I, I, I saw that tweet as well and I was like, yeah, like, like, so it, it was like, yeah, like, I, I haven't been discriminated against in London, but I don't walk around like with the book of Kells falling out of my back pocket. That is just the brilliant. funniest image to me. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant and very, very true. Um, I'm, I'm mad that we're dedicating so much of this to Fontaine's DC, but that it needs to be said that that is. Yeah. I know, sorry, we've gone all over the place no. with this one. But that's that's my theory as to why you're you're not um, 
attracted to them because you know yeah. you've already read Seamus Heaney and like yeah you did it you did it in school you know <laughs> but a four foot fontaine a fontaine for every year <laughs> <laughs> Um, but sorry, I, there are more, I know we are running out of time, but like there are some more things I want to say, it, which is like, what do we think of this album in terms of like, it came out in 2008, which is obviously when the financial crash happened. Mm-hmm. And, but like, I imagine when this music was being recorded and written, it was in a, very much a pre, obviously a pre-crash era. And like, I was looking at all the other albums that came out that year and some of my favorite albums came out that year. And uh, just to kind of, I've made a list of them here. Heretic Pride by the Mountain Goat, which I think is one of their best albums and kind of one of their rockiest albums as well. Stay Positive by The Hold Steady, which was like definitely a contender for this. Uh, mm. Frightened Rabbits, Midnight Organ Fight, another oh. huge contender. I fucking love that album. I'd love to come back on and talk about that album, if you'll have me. You are and more than welcome any time. Well. Yeah. And like, there was definitely a mood and maybe it's just, maybe I'm just like sort of cherry picking the music I like from that year, hmm. but definitely a mood of like, loud clangy playful big hopeful fun stories weird lyrics do you know what I mean there's a kind of an opulence in how much bands were like playing I guess yes. like, like the that that fight like apes could like you know fly to America to, to record this album and have so much of be opulence. just like just like them having fun it's and whereas now in this kind of post crash and like certainly in this post COVID time for Irish musicians, it's like they nearly have to like sell their soul in order to get like anything done in order to get like get time in a studio right? or well, like just fund their as album. As we just anything, said, so. you have to sell a story of misery, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just come out with a fucking thick album of bangers, can you? Yeah. No. Like, no. No. Here you are. <laughs> no. No. We're not allowed to have that anymore. Unless you're pillow queens, in which case they are very much flying the flag with that. But you're so right. Like this is so a pre-crash album, just because it's so, it's just so unapologetic. There's nothing, there's nothing of like kind of financial or like generational strife on it. Right. It's just I, I, I'm a person who exists here in the moment, and I'm reacting to my immediate surroundings, and I'm angry at all of it, and that's great. But you just can't fund albums like that anymore, I guess. No, no. <laughs> and yeah. I definitely think there wouldn't have been the same kind of mood for having so much um, sort of trashy American debris sort of totally. stuff. Totally, yeah. Which, which makes me think of one of my other favourite artists, Kesha, mm. um, who I just, I fucking adore that woman so much. But I remember reading her uh, on why she dropped the dollar sign from her name. And she was saying like, she's like, yeah, you know, it was a, it was kind of Obama era. It felt fun. You know, it felt fun to be an American. The dollar sign felt fun. And now like post that, it feels tacky and weird. And oh. I think a similar thing is happening here. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, I can imagine and envision the think pieces that, well, they probably wouldn't get commissions because nobody's getting no, commissions. No, because that's them right too. <laughs> but, you know, there, there, there would be tweets there would be takes on a band like Fight Like Apes if they came out right now and how not Irish they sound. And I'm yeah. really, really happy that they happened when they did, like yeah. in a pre-Twitter era, because I feel like that's, there There would be people, 
I don't know, just maybe being a bit snide about that. I don't think that that's acceptable anymore. I don't think you're allowed to be an Irish band and just decide to sound American. Yeah, yeah, true. Mm. You're obviously more of a, a music aficionado than I am. Like, what, what happened, do you think? Because obviously there was the great follow-up album, which I love, and one of the best album names ever, The Body of Christ and the Legs of Tina Turner which uh an album i loved and then there was a third album that came out i think 2014 maybe Mm. um that i actually didn't listen to as much because i think i just had moved on in my life Mm. uh what what happened do you think why didn't they get there i don't know i mean may Kay is really interesting because she went on to front the galaxy um Mm. which are another brilliant brilliant irish band and and they also you know stopped existing after after a little while after like a complete Mm. banger of an album as well I think genuinely I don't know I I I can only speak to the to the culture around it as opposed to Mm. like individual bands or whatever but it just got really hard to maintain like well to, to to firstly kind of break into other markets um in the in the 2010s because the world was flooded with indie music by then like mm. um and music that kind of looked and sounded in a, in in a certain way that was co- that comfortably fit onto like it was it, it was indie enough to sound cool but it comfortably fit onto like you know an LG yeah. TV ad or whatever or like you know yeah, those yeah, those yeah. those iPod ads or whatever and i think the market just got flooded with with indie yeah. landfill or whatever you're dead right it, it, it really pre- it's thinking about that lgtv sort of thing it was it's really the opposite of of uh that genre of music that i call that, that i think twitter calls uh stamp clap hey oh god yeah 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 oh well, th- well then yeah that that started and i don't know what yeah. that was in response to like <laughs> fucking good music there's nothing i hate more than whistling in a song hand claps in a song and haze <laughs> And that's basically like the fucking uh, like the you know Mumford and so all of those yeah. bands. Was oh, that that God, was a bleak time for music. I genuinely was, think that. I'm actually really I'm I'm really want to um the whole the quote unquote twee era of music. I really mm. want to get somebody from that era to come on the podcast, and nobody will. <laughs> I mean, I I could maybe think of a couple of bands that I could defend, but I don't know if if there is a whole lot of love. But I would love yeah. to hear somebody talk about that that era and give it a good defense. Like the I've Maroon Five tried episode to reach out was to your man from on the whale so much, man. He hear about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I can't publicly defend Noah and the Whale. I'll... No, no one will give me any jobs. <laughs> they are, yeah, they're, they're merely a Laura Marling origin story, but I think there was some good stuff there. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, we got Laura Marling out of it, so it's fine. <laughs> Okay, before we wrap up, your last chance to get your your thoughts and feelings. They they can just be feelings. They don't have to be thoughts. Oh, they can just be feelings. Absolutely. Uh, we already talked about you you love stars and you hate frogs. Yeah. I like karate and you like karate baby. And just like, oh my okay, so Snoreboard. So I, I love this album, but I do think by the last couple of tracks, it does kind of run out of energy a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does feel a bit like 
a toddler getting overtired kind of thing at a birthday party. You, just sort of, you run around so much and now you need to sleep. May Kay and, has had too much Fanta and now she's getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> I really like very, the lyrics in Snorboar Horror though. Yes, that was what I was going to bring up. So it literally, it almost references its own running out of energy by having the last song called, be, called Snorboar Horror. Mm. And, uh, and that last lyric is... Uh, in only legs on the top, she's so sexy. That, and it's just like, there's a real sadness to it. Yeah. Repeating that line, only legs in the top, only legs in the top. And it's, you see that woman, that woman we're all jealous of so clearly of just those it, legs in the top. The <laughs> new, that her fucking top, her stupid fucking top. Who, who does she think she is? It's stupid that whole kind of like... Top. It's it, it's a kind of a I I love how that song is structured that there's the snore part the bore part and the horror part it's like a, a yeah. kind of a three yes. act thing and at the beginning it it, uh, it it tricks you into thinking that she's finally written a love song right like a straightforward like oh I love you and you can snore beside me uh, all yeah. night if you want to because you're so amazing and then it goes into this kind of like but you're with her now and I've seen her going around and she's, she's, what's she call her? I, um, I saw my successor yesterday and I smiled cause she looks like a cow, but none of that matters because she's been your cow for a while. Like, God. It's so dejected, isn't it? Yeah. And it, and it's so, what's so lovely about it is like, it's not that Avril Lavigne thing where with so many of that singles, it really paints a picture of an artist who just hates other women. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, you know, when she's calling her a cow, it's the fight has gone out of it. Do you know yeah. I mean? She doesn't actually even mean it. She's like, yeah, she looks like a cow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know. it's, it's, it's something you'd say to your friend, like, like oh my god do, like if your friend is really upset it's like oh and he has this new girlfriend and then you're like but she's a cow like <laughs> you know? it's so it's limp just, it so doesn't have the courage of its own conviction absolutely you know? not it's just like the easiest first word that she could reach for and then she's just yeah. like but it doesn't matter because she's been your cow for a while now like she he obviously prefers this new new girl to me and there's absolutely nothing i i, I can do about that and the the brilliant i I, I love all of the the sampled kind of movie clips throughout the whole record. But I think this one is my favorite. It's the, um, we know that once a person is perverted, it is practically impossible for that person to adjust to normal attitudes in regards to, and then it cuts off. And then oh. the band just saying, fight like apes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's that's really cool. That's um, so cool. The, the, the samples in it, they're so genuinely eclectic, aren't they? Like, they are. It's a it's a it's a real mismatch of an album. Like it was based on like some Mr. T B movie or something. Yeah, like something yeah. really obscure. And they're all quite obscure references on them. But it, it works because if you use something really well known, then it kind of just take you out of the song completely. I like that they're leaning into this like crate diggy sort of vibe like we're very underground even though we're writing big pop songs like we're underground our references are underground and it doesn't doesn't feel smug does it it doesn't feel like you're tango like you're selling perfume it Mm. feels just like a joyful splattering of all these things these people are like you know watching together when they're high after a gig or something yeah it's like an in-joke that you're that someone kind of takes you aside and explains it to you yeah it gets to be your in-joke as well and you're like okay i get it (laughs) yeah yeah Oh, they, they were just a great band. They were a great band. Um, and May Kay, if you're listening, 
maybe an anniversary tour wouldn't <laughs> go amiss in uh, six oh. years time. <laughs> Can I actually, do you know what? I was looking around for um, sort of reactions at the time to this album, like critical reactions. And it was, it was really was so mixed. And the Irish Times gave it a great one. The Irish Independent gave it a very sour one. Mm. Um, uh, but one I, I loved that I got from entertainment.ie. Oh yeah. And there was no author and I'd love to know who it was. Oh. And they said, every few years, our little country belches out a band that accurately captures the zeitgeist and epitomizes all that is good and healthy about the Irish music scene. And then it oh, goes that's on fantastic. It's so good. And it goes on to describe, you know, what they're like. Then it goes, you know, but unlike, you know, people who are, you know, hyped or whatever, unlike, unlike their, their po face contemporaries, wait, hang on. But Final Gates are different. What differentiates the synth rock quartet from their po face contemporaries is their ability, ability to coordinate the tawdry with songs of depth and meaning, you know? Mm. The, the, the ability to coordinate the tawdry with songs of depth and meaning. And that's exactly how it feels. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. It's not quite equal parts fun and serious, but there's enough seriousness for you to take them seriously as a band. If they were any quirkier, I think they will have kind of crossed the line. But yes, but there's enough heart in it that you kind of realize that maybe all of this is like a distraction technique or it's just it's a it's a mess because she's a mess and oh. it's that sort of thing and oh you're and so that's really right. nice i really like that because that's what it's like to be a teen and this this album just makes me feel like a teen it's great it's <laughs> i feel so young great. i feel so young and so old while listening to this <laughs> it's like watching euphoria i'm like i'm a million years old but i'm also a teenager like <laughs> oh okay wonderful well carolina donahue thank you so much um thank you and now now we have a date on. for you to come on my podcast and talk about um Josie Nibus, yeah. So. Yes, please. That would be wonderful. Can't um, wait. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much to Caroline for the chat and to you for listening throughout this whole series. You can subscribe to the podcast on all your podcast apps. And if you wanted to leave a review or share with a friend, that would make me very happy. This podcast is an original Tall Tales production with thanks to Fergal Curtis for producing and Cassie Delaney for the artwork. We'll see you soon for season three. Yeah.